Well, we are three weeks into a sermon series about money. And what we're learning already is that the Bible, there's all kinds of urban myths and legends, including biblical ones. The Bible does not teach that money is the root of all evil. You may have heard that. You may have said that. Stop it. Instead, it teaches that money's a lot like electricity. It can do great good, but it can also kill you if you don't know what you're doing with it. So the Bible in more than one place teaches us how to use money wisely for our own good, the good of others, and the glory of God. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 where we've been digging in. We're going to read the passage again. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we've been learning what God says about how to use it wisely and not let it destroy you. 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is mega gain, great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be Rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which plunge men into destruction and perdition. For the, what? Say it again. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have even strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man or woman of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you. In the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Here's what I want to do. Today and next Sunday, I just want us to talk about and dig into verses 17 to 19. 17 to 19, and here's why. I think in verses 17 to 19, you see the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, giving us a very clear financial strategy. People pay big bucks to get wisdom on a financial strategy. Here's one for free. 
All right, here's a very clear financial strategy of what to avoid with your money. You do not want to do this. What to do with your money and the biggest reason why. It's all packed into those three little verses. Here's the first thing I want you to get a hold of. Look at what Paul says about how we should run, run from the biggest financial blunders. That's what he's highlighting in verse 17. Look at it again. Command those who are rich in this present age. Now look at me. I don't have time to repeat everything I did last week, so if you're just joining us, let me help us get all on the same page here so you don't check out. Rich in this present age. That means like today, 2018, if you're alive, this present age, if you have running water, if you have indoor plumbing, if you have AC when it's hot and heat when it's cold, if you have a cell phone, if you have two cars in what condition? Any. <laughs> Plastic and duct, duct tape on one window, doesn't matter. Two cars in any condition and you don't share where you live with two or three other families, you are in the top 5% of wealth in the world. You, you just have lost sight of 95% of the rest of the world every day does not live like you do, okay? So now we're all on the same page, I hope. Who is rich in this present age? Don't make me come down and smack thee, okay? Us, so who's Paul talking to? Brad Bigney and you, here we go. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. I want you to notice the first thing that Paul thumps that is a blunder you want to avoid are two things that often run hand in hand together. Abundance or wealth and blessing and arrogance, pride. Those often go together. So the first thing he says is do not be haughty because of what you have. Don't be haughty. Don't think you're better than anyone else because everything you have is a given, not a gotten. I mean, think about this, this one thing alone. Did you have anything to do with where you were born in the world? Oh my goodness, the fact that you were born in America and have lived in America, you've had one huge leg up your entire life. God decided that, placed you here. Everything you have is a given, not a gotten. So don't think it's what you have done and don't think you're smarter than everyone else either. If you've had any measure of success to any degree at all, don't make this mistake because it often happens. Success or wealth or abundance can make you overconfident about your own intuition and hunches so that you start to assume just because you were very successful here that you, everything you think about every area of life is spot on. Now here's why I'm saying this and it's one of our biggest root sins when you make that mistake and begin to think everything you think about every area of life is spot on, it throws you onto a really bad path. Because here's what happens. You stop being teachable. And you begin to stagnate in your personal growth, which means that you begin to decline and become irrelevant much more quickly than other people around you. Because here's the deal, folks. Humility is the midwife to success. 
because you keep asking questions instead of every time you walk into a room thinking I'm the smartest woman here. I'm the smartest man here. Oh, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't become haughty because of anything that you have, any measure of success that you've seen. But here's a second blunder that Paul points out. Don't become haughty and, oh, this so easily happens. Don't shift and begin to trust in what you have. Oh, it's so easy to stop trusting God and start trusting in what we see. This looks more secure. He says, don't do it, don't do it. And here's why. Because of a little modifier that Paul puts in front of the word riches. Do you see it in verse 17? There's a little modifier that Paul puts in front of that word riches that was true then, it's true today, and it will always be true. What is the modifier if you've got the New King James? What kind of riches? Say it again. Uh, it's the only kind that exists. Look, I'm going to find me some certain. This is the definition of all earthly riches. Uncertain. And it is a Greek word that actually means unreliable, unsettled, doubtful, and dependent upon chance. I don't know about you, that word trust in verse 17 can also be translated hope. So he's saying don't begin to trust in what's unreliable. Don't put your hope for financial future security in what's, some of you would have stories to tell. Can it not just change like that? Oh my yes. Don't begin to trust in it. Don't put your hope in it. It's unreliable, unsettled, dependent upon chance. But there's one more blunder that he says to run from, and this one might surprise you. The end of verse 17, what he's actually saying is, don't think that you can't enjoy some of it for yourself. See, here's the danger. The human heart often goes beyond what God says and shifts towards legalism. The Bible does not teach it's wrong to have anything nice. It's wrong to have any comforts beyond other people. The Bible does not teach communism. Let's even this thing out, spread it around so everyone has the same. Not biblical. Lenin. Marx, some really bad people thought of that, not God. You don't have to feel bad and think, oh, it's a sin to keep any of this. It's a sin to enjoy any of this. Look at the last phrase. God, trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to what? God is not against pleasure. He's the author of it. God is not against enjoyment. Here's what he is against. You keeping it all for yourself. So don't make the mistake of thinking, oh my goodness, God calls us to give away everything, to have nothing better than anybody else. No, God calls us to live with a grace gap, gospel gap between how you could be living and how you do live so that you can bless others and give significantly. But it's not wrong to enjoy some of it. But here's where I wanna park it and spend most of our time. Not just what you need to run from, and here's what you need to understand about the Bible. It's true on every level. The Bible's not a book about stop, 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 stop. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It's got plenty of, but it's always don't do that. Do this, do this, do this. The Bible's about replacement. So look at verse 18. Here's what's going on in verse 18. Paul says, reach for the biggest financial blessings. Verse 18 is packed with what you should do 
Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's saying, oh, do this. Do this. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Two key phrases that I want to highlight in verse 18. Ready to give. Willing to share. Here's what I want you to understand. Those two phrases are not synonymous. He's not being redundant. Well, what's the difference? Ready to give, willing to share. Oh, there is a difference. If you don't get a hold of both of those phrases in your life, you will not be able to give. And here's what I mean. Some of you are more than willing to give. Your heart is right. You say, oh, I wish we could give. Problem? You haven't gotten ready to give, therefore you're not able to give. Some of you are ready to give. Your financial picture, what God's done for you, you could, but you're not willing. Your heart's not right. Both have to be in place. You gotta be ready and willing. But I'm gonna park it on ready. Because I find that most Christians, by God's grace, because God has given so much to us in his son, he solved your biggest problem, God's a giver. Most Christians have a heart that's leaning towards, oh, I, I, I wish I could, I would if I had it. What I see people fall short on, especially in America, even though it's the land of abundance, we got more than most people in the world, and yet I find that we live as if like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. Christians have not gotten ready to give. See that phrase, ready to give, is actually a Greek word, eumentados, that means to give lavishly, unselfishly, because you have prepared ahead and gotten ready for these giving moments. Here's what I find. So many Christians, they're making money, they're spending money, they're buying stuff, and they've given almost no thought to how they would get ready to give. It's not on their radar. It's not on their radar, but verse 18 tells us it should be. You should be thinking, how will we get ready to give? Because let me help you here. The mistake that some of you are making, and it's common. Well, as soon as we have a little more, more money, we'll give. That, that, that's gonna happen, Brad, my heart's right. Guess what actually happens? As your income increases, so does your lifestyle, and you just keep saying, one day, someday, we'll give. When we have a little bit more, we'll give. When's that? Well, it's not now. It's certainly not now. And you just do that because the human heart is wicked. And it just keeps thinking, no, 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 we still need that, no, no. You gotta get ready to give. It's gotta be on your radar, it's gotta be intentional, or it will not happen. Nobody, get this, Nobody just stumbles into or drifts into significant, sacrificial grace giving. We, we just finished a year, right? Nobody gets to the end of the year and says, oh my goodness, look at all that money left. What are we gonna do with this excess? A anybody find that happening? I don't think so. You just consume it, consume it, step it up, step it up, step it up. You'll have to be intentional. You'll have to think, how would we get ready to give? If you don't think about it in specific ways, it will not happen. So I wanna help you. How would you get ready? I wanna give you three ways that you can move in the direction of getting ready to give. Number one, find out where every dollar is going. Get on a budget. Oh, I know I just said a bad word, don't flee. 
some of you, that's a bad word. I'm an adult. It's my, I don't want to be on a budget. That's, that's bondage. I want to be free. And how's that freedom working out? As you just spend and then you wonder where is it and you're always in a crisis for the taxes or for Christmas or a car repair. There is not freedom in no budget. That's bondage. B-U-D-G-E-T is how you spell financial freedom, my friends. I mean, think about it. The person that can do amazing things with the cello or on keyboard, guess what? They're not the one that said, I don't ever want to play scales. I just want to play. The person who disciplines themselves within the rails of scales, and it's very boring, it can be tedious, it can be painful, it can be hard, then has a lifetime of freedom of the ability to play in ways that other people can't. But what led to it was discipline in something hard. News alert. Same things with your money. When you budget and you figure out where is it going. See, here's the mistake people make. As soon as you think, well, I want to get ready to give, your first thought is, if I just had more, if we had more, that should not be your first thought. Your first thought should be, where is all the money we do have going? Because I guarantee you, you don't know. If you don't have a budget, you don't know. You would be surprised. You would be surprised. Budget is not a bad word. It's a pathway to freedom. And I've been saying this, but I'm gonna say it again. Financial freedom is not based on how much you make. It's based on how much you spend. Vicki and I, when we were making $11,000 three years in a row, were living financially free because we had a budget. With $11,000, we had a budget and we saved $50 a month for emergencies and we, we had freedom. There are people with big salaries Quarterly bonuses, year-end bonuses, stock options that are strapped and stressed and fighting with each other for money and losing sleep because they still spend more than they make. It's not that hard to do. It's not about how much you make. It's about how much you spend. So you got to figure out what are we spending? Where is it going? What's happening? The wisest man in the world who knows, knew something about abundance Solomon said this in Proverbs 27, 23, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds for riches are not forever. You see, in those days, most of your assets were tied up in goats, sheep, cows. And so he's saying, you gotta know your assets. You gotta know what's going on with what you have. And that means you gotta keep good records. But some of you are living in the financial dark you don't want to know. I mean, I'm amazed how many people as a pastor, I get around them that also is like, oh, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm not going to go to the doctor. There might be a problem. Yeah, that's real dumb. If there is a problem, the sooner you go, the better it might be on getting help. But it's like, as long as I don't know, great. And that's how people live with their money too, in the financial dark. Folks, the first step towards financial freedom is becoming aware of where your money is going. That's a path to freedom. Becoming aware of where your money's going. And oh folks, this is such a good day. Early in my, our marriage, I'm sitting at the kitchen table there with a notebook and paper and it was tedious to try to make all the categories add up. There's software. No, I'm not even that techie. But for the past five years, I've been using YNAB. You need a budget. And it's a free app. And it syncs to my phone. So cool. 
I'm standing there at Chevron pumping gas. As soon as I see the amount, I can type it in right then. And it goes into the category I set up. I'm standing in Macy's looking at shirts I'm lusting after. And I don't have to wonder, do I have play money? Should I buy that? Pull out my phone, look, oh, he doesn't, but he doesn't. In fact, he's in deep doo-doo because I forgot, oh yeah, I bought that right before Christmas and now I'm gonna wait and let that category come. You have no idea what you've been doing, but when you look, you're like, I need to wait. I need to wait and let my play money build back up a little bit here. We're gonna be in big trouble. Oh, it's glorious, it's all synced together. You don't have to be in the dark about what's going on. Budget. Choose whatever you wanna use, but folks, there's no excuse for not being able to do this now. Use some software, there's so many different things out there. Figure out where your money's going. And let me insert this right here. I love that we have a church of all ages, but I love that we have young couples, lots of kids. Parents, oh my goodness, of young kids. Just like you don't wanna pass on to your kids your anger, your worry, your fear, Don't pass on to them your financial mess and clueless, don't know how to handle money. Teach them, teach them. As shocked as I am as a pastor, all my years of being a pastor, I've been shocked how few parents sit down and talk to the kids about sex. Instead, let the kids at school tell them, I wanna tell them. I'm even more shocked how few parents teach their kids about money. Oh man, they're gonna handle money. Oh man, this could destroy you and ruin. Teach them how to handle money. I remember one time when the kids were little, I took my paycheck, I get paid once a month, went to the bank, said, give it to me all in ones. They had to phone somewhere else and bring it over. And I had this bank zipper bag they let me use. So it was a Friday night, family night, we're gathered around the dining room and I shook that bag out on the table. Eyes just lit up and they're like, we knew it, we could be going to Disney World, we could all. I said, all right, hang on, hang on. And I had simplified our budget into little sheets and I handed them around. I said, okay, Harrison, here's the house payment, $938. Take that out. That took a while, counting that out. <laughs> Kelly, here's our average electric bill, 148 Take that out. Here's, here's what it costs for food. Here's what we save for auto maintenance. Here's what we save for Christmas so you'll have one. Ho, ho, ho. Here, here, and I just went on, here's property tax so it's not a, and guess what happened? There were just a few sad little ones lying there, <laughs> moaning, crying out, ah, ah. And I said, that's why we don't go to Disney World. That's why we don't eat out every Sunday. Welcome to real life. This is not a mean thing, this is a good thing. I wanted to teach them, I took three peanut butter jars and duct taped them together and put labels on the front. Church, 10%. Bank, 50%. Spend, So I taught them from the moment they were excited about money, which was early. You don't have to teach kids like, oh, money. But I taught them, if someone gives you $10, you can't spend $10. Give, give to the church, save. And then you got four to spend. Welcome to real life. You said, Brad, what in the world are you gonna do with all that money you got them banking through all those years? I'll tell you what. They can help me buy their first used car because I'm not buying them one. Here was my deal with my five kids, a matching plan. I'll match whatever you save for car and that'll be your first car. If you save 200, I give 200, you get a $400 car. It'll be on blocks. It'll be missing things like an engine. (laughs) Let me know how fun that is. 
Garrett, my son Garrett got a hold of this. Garrett saved $10,000 by the time he got to a senior in high school from mowing and shoveling snow so that I had to create a new rule. I ain't matching $10,000. There is now a $4,000 limit because you are not having a $20,000 car. But then he is very savvy. He's the one that looked at me and said, Dad, I don't even, I don't even want to buy a car. I'll use the 1996 gold Corolla that Kelly already used and Harrison already used. It's good enough. Very wise. So the first two years of college, he put himself through debt-free using that money. Teach your kids. Oh, my goodness. Teach your kids how to handle money. And even if it's not your story, your parents didn't do this for you. Just like with anger and abuse and all kinds of stuff that gets passed on, be the generation that says, enough. We're not gonna continue this legacy of the so-and-sos, the Smiths, the Bignies, the Mayors, don't know how to handle money. It's just one generation after the next of financial mess. Drive a stake in the ground and say, we're gonna teach our kids and help them do different. And here's the other reason I want you young parents to get on this with your kids. Here's what I think is interesting. I read a brand new study that came out over the last five years called The State of the Plate. And they tracked 4,500 people who give 10% or more of their income away every year. You know what they found? They did not find these were the wealthiest people in America. So don't think that. They found that 63% of those 4,500 that are giving away 10% or more of their income started doing that between childhood and their 20s. Here's the mistake that so many people make. Some of you singles right now, teenagers right now, you wait too late to start giving sacrificially. And guess what? Your little heart gets used to having it all. Stop saying, but I only make 10. I'll wait till I, when you make 50, are you gonna wanna give five if you never gave it? I don't think so. So one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me, they did a lot of things right. They taught me to tithe when I was young. They were brand new Christians. My mom and dad got saved in a Bible study as adults. My dad didn't even grow up in the church, but they heard teaching on tithing and they decided to do it. But listen to me, they had the same thoughts everybody has. There's no way, we can't do that. They had one canary yellow Mustang. They were in their first house. They had two little boys, twins, age seven years old. And my dad was the only one working outside of the home. Of course they didn't say, yeah, Let's take this excess. They said, how? They started and they never looked back. They never missed a payment. They never missed a bill. God blessed and they taught me. So that I remember as a kid, if I got a dollar in my birthday card, I remember thinking, oh my word, I've got to find 10 dimes. The most inconvenient thing was breaking up these bills because I need to give a dime. But it was in my head early on, I've got, I am to give 10%. And so guess what? Then when I worked at McDonald's and made $100 a week, I gave 10. Then when I got my first real job out of college as a youth pastor and made 20,000, I gave two, and I've never looked back. Some of you keep saying, oh, well, I don't make much right now. God doesn't expect me to give. Your heart will just settle in with it's all mine. Start young, start early, don't wait. Don't wait, don't wait. Teach them and lead the way. Number two, stop being somebody else's slave by reducing debt. Oh, stop being somebody else's slave by reducing debt. Now, here's what I did not say. The Bible does not teach 
that debt is a sin. If you hold that view, and I know some Christians do, love you, live it, don't email me. I, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. It's not my first rodeo. I know all the arguments and I disagree. And our elders disagree. We don't think the Bible teaches that debt is a sin. Here's what the Bible does teach. The Bible absolutely teaches the borrower is always slave to the lender. Therefore, borrow as little as possible and pay it back as soon as possible. That's what the Bible teaches. Therefore, when the bank approves you, I'll never forget when we moved here and the bank approved me for some unbelievable amount. I didn't borrow that. I looked at them as, are you crazy? My payments would be, oh, no. I borrowed as little as possible. On every area of life, the, the, I, you know, people are like, oh, I was approved for, yeah, you can be stupid and take all that. It's gotta be paid back, my friend. So borrow as little as possible and pay it back as soon as possible is what the Bible teaches because the borrower is slave to the lender. So as much as you can, begin to reduce your debt. But I know this will make you peculiar. This will make you radically different. There's a lot of ways that Christians are supposed to be different. You know what I wish one of them was? That we were financially better with money. But sadly, we're often just like everybody else, only with a fish sticker on our bumper of the car that we can hardly pay for. That's the only difference. Oh my goodness, let's be better with money because we've got the wisdom of God. And we should be living this out radically different. Right now, Americans owe more than they've ever owed before. Household debt today in America just hit $13 trillion. Americans today carry $784 billion of credit card debt and $1.3 trillion of student loan debt. Yikes. Oh my goodness. Now listen to me. If that's you, you're part of that. Don't lose heart. You say, you're kidding me. No. There's still hope. There is still hope. Here's the mistake you're making. We'll never get out of it. Oh, we'll never get out of it. We'll never. I have permission to share a couple stories from young couples right here in our church. We have couples, many, who courageously, courageously and tenaciously dug themselves out of a deep debt hole to the glory of God instead of saying, ah, oh, for the rest of our lives, this will just be the biggest mess. Listen to what this one husband says. Quote, we knew we needed to make some big changes if we were ever going to get out of debt. Our expenses were already pretty low. Our house is modest and affordable. And we agreed that selling one of our vehicles wasn't an option because we were pregnant with child number three. So after staring blankly at our budget for a few weeks, ding, 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 ding. He's already ahead of a lot of people. He has a what? Budget. He wishes he had more money to put in those categories, but he got a budget. After a few weeks of staring blankly at our budget, it became obvious to me that I needed a second job. I was working 48 hours a week at my day job and had just finished my college degree a couple months before. Getting a second job was the last thing either of us wanted to do, but we were, here's another key, we were very motivated to get out of, if you're not very motivated, this won't happen, because it'll be painful, it'll be hard, but so worth it, freedom's on the other side of that. He says, almost immediately, a part-time job opened at my previous employer. The pay was better than what I could get at McDonald's or Walmart, and I didn't have to work weekends, so it was an awesome answer to prayer. And then he wisely and very sweetly says this, 
My beautiful wife is a stay-at-home mom, but don't think for a second she didn't play a huge part in getting us out of debt. In my opinion, she had the harder end of the deal, being pregnant with number three, taking care of two little kids, doing laundry, getting groceries, cooking meals, cleaning the house, and doing all of it without help. That's harder than me driving back and forth between two jobs and eating dinner in my car. We were both physically tired and emotionally drained, but we were getting out of debt quickly, and it felt so Good. Now listen to this also. Here's what you gotta be willing to do. Our entire tax return went towards debt. I mowed a few lawns, I did some landscaping, we cashed in a life insurance policy and a couple other unexpected sources of income popped up here and there. It was a hard time for both of us, but we even managed to take a short trip out of town to celebrate our five year anniversary. Long story short, in eight months of running with gazelle intensity, I like that. Running with gazelle intensity, we were able to pay off all of our $22,000 of debt, and it feels so good. And here's what I know just happened. Some of you thought, that's chump change. We owe so much more than that. Oh, I got another story then. Young couple in our church that got married and came together, both of them with music degrees, strapped with huge school debts. But they decided that they were going to tithe 10% to our church, even though they got this debt, and begin to pay off that $118,000 school debt in three years. And they begin firing in on it. Now listen to what he says. Well, first, at the end of the first year, giving 10%, making their regular payments, they were able to pay an additional $28,000 towards the principle of that debt. And they are now free of that debt. But he says this, I think the biggest takeaways that I would share with others is to get fully aware of your financial situation. Don't be in the financial dark. For us, the big thing was education debt. For others, it might be credit card debt or home debt or simply spending too much. Live within your means. Set goals, budget to track your progress, and I would tell people to wrap your head around the concept that no part of your financial situation is outside of God's control. What you have and what you don't have is all him. You wanna get more free? Start tracking every dollar, get a budget. Fire in on reducing debt. But then this third one that both these young couples chose to do might surprise you. They did not wait and say, oh, until we take care of our debt, until we're in a better position, we're not gonna give 10% away. Number three, show God your, you trust him and not your money by giving away at least 10% of your income. That's called a tithe. And let me help you here. I hear Christians use the word tithe and they think what that means is any money I give to the church because I gave it to the church or a missionary, it's a tithe. Tithe has a definition. If you give $50, thank you, that's an offering. Tithe has a definition, it's 10%. If you're not giving 10%, please don't call it a tithe. Think about getting there though. That's what the Bible calls us to. And again, just like on debt, let me say this. I know some Christians say, oh, the tithe is Old Testament, Pastor Brad. Why are you reaching back to the Old Testament? Yada, 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 yada. Again, don't email me. I'm old. I've thought this through. I disagree with you. We're still gonna talk about it, and here's why. 
Oh, I know the New Testament talks about grace giving. Here's the mistake Christians make. So grace giving means we can give whatever we want, which is almost nothing. Hallelujah. Please. Everything we have under the new grace covenant is so much better. If in the Old Testament, the floor, that's the floor, not the ceiling, was 10% and God said, get there, we should at least shoot for that and go beyond it. Listen, Jesus never abolished the law. He fulfilled it and ramped it up. You say, Brad, what are you talking about? Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt not murder. I say, if they've really ticked you off, there's a place for that, because it's grace now. No. You've heard, thou shalt not murder. But I say, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've murdered. You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed, everything's ramped up, not wiped out. So we look back there and say, well, that's what they were asked to give. God has solved our biggest problem. We got the Holy Spirit living on us. There's so much more that we have. Grace giving's not less. And, and the problem with grace giving also is you think, well, I don't know. What should I shoot for? There you go, right there. It was 10% in the Old Testament. Shoot for that. And here's what's going on. Here's why it's a big enough amount that, ooh, would you miss that? Uh, yeah. Would that impact how you're living? Yeah. Why? Because it's a trust issue. If you just give what you have left, you don't need to trust God. You didn't need that. That's why you gave it. It's a trust issue. Because remember, what is our biggest reason we do not give away more? Is it stinginess? What is it? Fear. Fear. I might need that. I'm going to need that. I'm going to need that. I'm going to need that. So when you give at least 10% of your income away, you're saying, God, I trust you and acknowledge it all came from you to begin with and I can give away 10% trusting that you'll make the 90 go further. And when you don't, whether you say it out loud or not, you're saying, God, I don't trust you. I think I can do better with my money, keeping almost all of it for ourselves. I don't trust you. I'll do this. Turn with me to Malachi chapter three. And let me show you what I'm talking about because this passage, oh, this passage has a challenge that you won't find anywhere else in the Bible on any other subject. If you need help with Malachi because all your pages are stuck together because you've never been there, find Matthew and go left. It's the last Bible of the book of the Old Testament before you get to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. Malachi, there is a challenge from God that you won't find anywhere else in the Bible. Malachi chapter three, God talking. Malachi chapter three, verse eight. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Here's the phrase and prove me now in this. The NIV translates that, test me. Ooh, you know what? There are lots of places where it says, don't test God. Here he's saying, do it. He's throwing down the gauntlet, test me, prove me. And oh, two amazing things he says he'll do if you prove him and say, I'm gonna trust you. My flesh is screaming, we need this, we need this, but I'm gonna trust you. First thing he says is, see if I will not. 
open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And second, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. See, there's two ways this works, folks. God can provide more for you, but guess what else he's promising? He'll rebuke the devourer. Do you not find that sometimes life just hits you and your money is just devoured with an out-of-pocket medical expense, car just keeps breaking down? Those years that we had, folks, of three years in a row on $11,000 and being financially free were not just that money came in the mailbox. Sometimes it did. But it was that God held back stuff that often is happening and it just didn't happen on the level that I'll rebuke the devourer for you and I'll open the windows of heaven. That's what we experienced as we lived on a budget and saved $50 a month for emergencies, gave 10% to the church, gave to the building fund. We saw Malachi 3, so much so that I kept a little notebook. I thought, I'm gonna have to write this down. I don't wanna forget this. Let me show you. I'll just show you one page. I kept a notebook of how God was providing for us during those years. I'm making this up. There isn't really a page to show you. No, but there is. There we go. And keep in mind how long ago this was. It was like when you see 150, 100. Oh, my goodness. I remember one time this couple is bottom right-hand side there. The forest, Craig and Anna Mary Ford. We had nothing. There was no dinner out there. They one time kept the kids and gave us $50 and said, go to real movie, like full price, and buy popcorn and candy. Oh, my goodness. I remember it's not even on that page. This notebook is lots of pages. I remember one time I went to the dentist. He said, oh, you got a cavity. I said, how much? He said, 90. I said, you close up your toolbox. I'll close up my mouth, and let's just slowly walk away because that ain't happening. I have no dental. I kid you not, not weeks later, that next Sunday, I was the music guy leading I led the worship and I sat back down in the front row and while I led it, I didn't see this happen. An envelope arrived, I opened the envelope, $90. That's what he said it would be to fill the cavity. I went back next week, said, do it. (laughs) Folks, I could stand here all day and give you examples of what God did. Not because, and here's the mistake I saw people make, and I thought, I'm not doing that. While we were in that situation, living in a trailer park with all kinds of other young couples that were, quote, getting ready for ministry, so many of them said, oh, I'm gonna be a pastor, I'm gonna be a missionary, God doesn't expect us to give right now. I wouldn't do that. And then they had their parents sending them their tithe. No, again, no. I don't want my parents to take their tithe from their church and send it to their son in his trailer. No. I said, we're going to tithe. We're going to give. And we're going to watch God. Even now, our parents both are like, oh, my goodness, if you'd only told us we didn't know how you were living. I didn't need to tell you. God knew. And he took care of us abundantly. Now, here's the other thing I want you to know. Sometimes some of your best stories are way in the past when you were poor. He said, but we don't have any of those stories anymore. We do. And here's why. And many of you do too. Even as my income has increased, we've continued to live with a huge grace gap, gospel gap, because we keep living below where we could be living so that we can sacrificially give on a level that I still need to see God provide. Therefore, I get to see God provide. I'll never forget one time So as we were, my oldest was about to head to college, so I began to pray and fast. 
I had not saved gazillions of dollars for college because I'm trying to buy used cars cash. So I don't have it. And I taught them from early on. You're going to have to do something. National Guard, plasma, I don't know. Think about it. Be really smart. Score well. But college isn't paid for. Guess what? It's okay. They got their head around it. They've all gone to college. None of them are in debt. It can be done. Nobody has to plop down $150,000 for you. So we're praying, though. And instead of just praying privately, I thought, I'm going to include the kids. They're young. We're praying at the dinner table, praying, and I'm fasting, and I'm telling them, we're praying for some additional money for our oldest kid who's going to college in the fall. I come here one day. I go through my office here. I grab mail out of the mail basket, sit down at my desk, going through stuff. There's a card from Texas, and it's from a couple that I've spoken to one time. She was out in the foyer one day when I ran to the front office. I'd never met her, so I said, hey, I don't think I've met you. She said, oh, we love it here. We've only been here a couple years. God has so used this in our, you know, the counseling, everything, but we're moving to Texas. Job transferred my husband. That's it. That's, that's it. This is from them. I read the card, and it says, we just thought God wanted us to send you this I hadn't emailed them and said, think about what God might want you to do. <laughs> Silence! The check, $7,000. Who does that? Now, please know, I don't have multiple stories like that. That's my best. <laughs> one time. But oh my goodness, it's exciting just one time. I'm like, oh, can you imagine when I went home to the kids? We've all been praying. We've all been fasting. And I'm like, look at this. $7,000 to help with college. One of the most amazing that I'll never forget was when I totaled our big red conversion van right out on Mount Zion Road after church. And I was driving along and a watermelon rolled up against my feet and I, I, I had groceries in the back and I went to push the watermelon off the gas pedal and I heard horrible sounds and all the windows began to explode in and I totaled the van against this big brick mailbox. I mean, pieces of our van were in five yards because I... At the speed I was moving, we kept moving for a while. Thank goodness it was just me alone. And then Ford has this really good safety feature that the fuel pump will shut out off so that you don't explode in flames. And so my van is dead in Mount Zion Road, blocking one lane. Yay. Really embarrassing. So I get out, I'm directing traffic. I've called 911. Hello, yes, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but my mind is whirling. Vicky's in Georgia with all the kids. I don't have another car. Plus, I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, this is the only vehicle we ever had to borrow money for because it was 13.5. It was used, but it, I couldn't come up with 13.5 and we've got it paid off. I don't have another 13.5 and there's seven of us. We don't fit in normal vehicles. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Fear. And I kid you not, it, it might as well have been audible. God said, I'm right in my head. I'm gonna take care of you. I got it. And I thought, okay. Great, in five, and I just relaxed, directing traffic with a smile. In five minutes, someone from the church stopped and said, oh, Pastor Brad, are you okay? I said, yeah. He said, do you need a vehicle? I said, yeah, I actually do. He said, hey, we just bought a used car for my teenage son, but he hasn't started driving yet. You can use it. He brings it over, I drive it home, and then I just go and do the next thing, thinking, all right, God's on this. I go to North Carolina where I'm supposed to teach at a conference. And the guy that's assigned to take me back to the airport, I've never met in my life. I'm just riding along, wanting to be friendly and make conversation. So I say, oh, this dashboard is exactly, because it was an F-150 Ford pickup. 
And our van was an F-150 Ford conversion van. I said, this dashboard is exactly like the van I just totaled last week. Without missing a beat, he says, I have a van. I'll give it to you. <laughs> now, I have to admit, what I said next was not, not nice. You know, you can't, I, I said, nice van? <laughs> you know, I'm picturing a Volkswagen with a peace sign on the side, you know. And he says, oh, oh, nice van. He's like, we just used it for trips with the kids, but we've raised the kids. I just told my assistant to wash it and list it on eBay, but I'll give it to you. Folks, oh my goodness, it had leather. We didn't have leather. It had a TV. We hadn't had a TV. It had a DVD. Oh, we hadn't had DVD. It had chrome sport wheels like I like. And it was the color Vicky's always wanted, but we always just had to take what we could get with used cars that are dependable. It was white. And it was 20,000 miles less than what was on the other van, three years newer than the other van. Folks, God gave us a massive upgrade. That's the kind of stuff that God will do. I was like, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. Now, here's what some of you are thinking. This might offend you, but I love you and I want you to get in on what God can do. You're sitting there thinking, I don't have any stories like that. Let me tell you why. I haven't seen God do anything like it. He hasn't needed to because you haven't taken him at his word and started giving away at least 10%. Saying, Malachi doesn't say there's a blessing for any amount. Just, he certainly doesn't say there's a blessing for zero. There's this blessing for sacrificial, we trust you, it all came from you, level giving. Oh my goodness, you cannot outgive God at all. And we'll dig into the final point. So you wanna run from the biggest financial blunders, reach for the biggest financial blessings, rest in the best financial security, God's treasury. See, people are always thinking, where's a secure, safe place to put my money? Outside of this world. Again, you've heard me. It's not wrong to save for retirement. I am. It's not wrong to have health insurance. I, but folks, if you're just spending it all here and you're not sending some of it on ahead, storing up for themselves a good foundation, that's the safest place. And we'll talk some more about it next week. Storing up for themselves. See that word storing up is the Greek word thesaurus that means treasury, treasury, treasury. Now as we close, I do wanna say thank you because so many of you, hundreds of you, know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not just Vicki and I living this way. So many of you are living this way, thank you. And I know that this has been depressing for many of you who are like, oh, we've made such bad decisions in the past, now here's where we are. My heart goes out to you but I still plead with you. Make a decision to go in a new direction. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting to the point of madness. That's why someone said a definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. You want different results? Make different decisions. And here's something else you might not realize. You hear me say on a regular basis, I've been here 22 years and oh God, the offerings have exceeded the expenses of our church every year. Yes, to the glory of God. But here's what you might not know. 
We have a church family now of about 2,100 between the two campuses. 20% of the people who call Grace Fellowship home give 70% of the budget. 20%. Now, now don't make the mistake thinking, yeah, they're the really rich people. No, they're not. You know who they are? They're the people who tithe and give at least 10% because when you give that, it's a lot more money than when you just give a tip or you're a Tupperware Christian. You give God the leftovers and they're blessed. They've got stories like my story. And so maybe you're saying, well, where would we begin, Brad? We can't just jump in. No, I know. Let me give you three steps as we close. Where would you begin? Number one, start praying and asking God for courage and humility to do some hard things. Oh, it will be short-term pain, but you could have long-term pain your entire marriage. Short-term pain for some long-term gain and freedom. Begin to pray for courage and humility to do something about this. Step number two, sit down and make a plan. What's your plan gonna be? Figure out where your money's going, redirect your money, what's your debt, how would you do this? Most people fail to change because they fail to make any specific plans to change. Make a plan. And number three, you might need help. You might need someone to walk alongside you to help you form this plan and then stay accountable to this plan. Good news, our church does biblical counseling and biblical counseling is not just marriage and parenting and depression. Finances, we got people who will sit with you and help you with your finances. We got a class going on right now called Financial Peace that is amazing. It's so full right now, you can't get in it. But there's such a demand, they've, they've said they've considered running it again real quick. When you hear it announced, get yourself in there. They will walk you through how to figure out where your money's going, how to get on a budget, how to begin to give, what kind of insurance, where are you wasting your money, what specific help on how to become more free. This may not be the year you turn this whole thing around. Probably won't be because you didn't get here overnight, but oh, what about making this the year that you say, we're gonna do something about this. We're gonna begin. We're gonna take steps to do something about this to the glory of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that doesn't just teach us about heaven and hell and doesn't just teach us about marriage and parenting and relationships and communication and conflict and anger and workplace, marketplace, job relationships, but teaches us about money, how to use it for our own good, the good of others and your glory. Oh God, thank you for the wisdom of your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit living inside of us and thank you for giving us each other to walk beside us. May Grace Fellowship be characterized by a church family that's not caught in the money trap, just like the rest of the world, that has greater freedom and joy and grace gap, gospel gap living that blesses our church family, other people, and so many great ministries outside the walls of our church because we're living radically different. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.